The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Monstrous Regiment, featuring a roundtable of Dominion women seeking to honor Jesus Christ in applying God's Word fearlessly and faithfully in all callings and seasons of life, both in and out of the home, reversing the curse and smashing pagan strongholds. Is abortion a women's issue? I'm Elizabeth Sachs, and this is my co-host, Elizabeth Goss, with The Monstrous Regiment. So what we're talking about today is, is abortion a female-specific sin uh, or a sinful inclination? And as we, as we fight for the abolition of abortion, should we fight it with that presupposition that it is mainly a women's issue? So, Lissa, I know one of the things we wanted to talk about uh, to start with was the foundation um, of this um, of this attitude and this presupposition. I know that it's something that we often hear in the pro-life movement when they'll, you know, anytime somebody posts something. I remember we used to see on the. Um, our Facebook pages, as we would post about abortion, people would leave comments like "keep your legs shut" or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the more blatant ways that you see it, but um, you see it more subtly too. You typically you won't see a comment about abortion at all that isn't about women. It's about the penalties that women should suffer, or it's about um, the choices that women make. On both sides, pro-choice people obviously think that it's something specifically that women need. Um, and you kind of see almost a subconscious assumption that it's something women need and want on the pro-life or abolitionist side as well, where people are just thinking um, that even though you might need it, you shouldn't have it. Basically, you're saying put your child's needs before your own, which is true, except for in this case, you're the right thinking would say that your child's needs and your needs are the same because it's not good for, it's not actually a net good for women, but we talk about it like it is a good thing that we should deny ourselves. Right. Our presuppositions, I think, are based on the idea that abortion is, um, like, like you said, mainly having to do with women and women's needs or the baby's needs, and we pit the woman and the baby against one another. And so, like, on the pro-choice side, you have, well, the woman's more important. And then on the pro-life or abolitionist side, like, the pro-life side kind of tries to straddle the two, like they do with just about everything else. But the abolitionist side will then, like, defer in favor of the baby. So it becomes this false dichotomy where you're pitting two image bearers against one another and saying, well, one of them has got to lose out. Right. And in, and there are, since a child is more vulnerable than an adult, if they were pitted against each other, it'd be true that the child should win out. But it's not pitted against each other because it's not something that is, a, uh, it's not something that women need or that um, we're designed and created with an de innate desire to do. Certainly when we do desire it, it's not above and beyond what our partners and society also want for us. Um hey pro-choice side assumes that abortion is a necessity for women to be able to be equal to men. Like, like they have this idea that women and men should be the same 
And so, like, there's this equalizing thing that since men don't have to have consequences for sexual encounters, that women should have the ability to eliminate those consequences as well, whereas, like, the abolitionist um, end of things will will look at it in terms of, um, and, and pro-lifers too, to some extent, that they, they kind of, like, anymore. say again? If there's even a difference anymore. Right. <laughs> um, but they'll, they'll look at it in terms of, like, um, it, it kind of, like, the, the t- scales tip towards woman or pregnancy child. And, and I've, I've seen those scales. I've seen things like um, men in the abolitionist movement have said things like, well, it's because of women's suffrage that... And women have said it. I've seen women say it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I've seen women say and agree with that, too. Um, Yeah. And I would actually say that the pro-choice state is right that that, uh, women and men need to be given equal responsibility for any children that are created. Um, The answer to it is not to give women as little responsibility as men are typically given. (laughs) It's to give... Right. You counter it by saying, wait, men should be accountable too, instead of saying, well, women are in a really vulnerable state, so they should be less accountable. And that's where so often um, the left will get the problem right, but the answer wrong. Whereas the right Right. will get the... um, well, they get everything wrong. <laughs> uh, Sometimes like yeah, the they, right answer, but for the wrong reason or like, like with this, abortion is wrong, right answer. But then it's wrong because, and then they, that's where they kind of lose. Yeah. It's, it's wrong because feminists. <laughs> right. It's wrong because it's, we can't let women do what they want, which right. is not why it's wrong and not what we want. Um, but, um, yeah, we're kind of, sorry, we're kind of losing the thread, but yeah. Um, I think we've both seen people literally go so far as to say there wouldn't be an abortion Holocaust in this country if women didn't have the vote, which is just, I mean, it's ignorant of history. It's ignorant of, it's kind of America centric where we, where we forget about, um, other abortion Holocausts in other countries. We can get more into that later, but, um, it's just an attitude that it's Noxian. It's, it's that it goes right back into women are the port and gateway to the devil. And this idea that if women were restrained, nobody would want to do anything bad. Right. Ultimately the idea is that women do not have the right to have self-government. The pro-choice movement says women should have self-government, but they should have self-government to murder their child. And the abolitionist movement pro-life movement will tend towards women shouldn't have self-government. Who would give women self-government? Why would we do that? Right. They'll go and murder their kids if we give them self-government instead right. of They'll, treating it in terms of... What sorry, they both, go ahead. No, no, sorry. What they both agree on is that the end result of women having self-government necessitates that we'll definitely want to murder our children. I mean, that's pro-choice, pro-life. They're in complete agreement that what women will do if left to our own devices is kill our kids. And that male, um, male oversight is, is what keeps women from killing their kids, which is demonstrably not true because men, unregenerate men, love abortion at least as much as unregenerate women. 
because it allows for exploitation, objectification, without consequence, it hides rape and incest. I mean, it's been practiced, child sacrifice where that didn't happen inside of a woman's body has been practiced by civilizations for thousands of years. And it wasn't like men holding their women back and being like, please don't throw my baby into the fire. Right. And one might even say, um, so like we look at the SBC scandal that's happening right now where all of these uh, men were in leadership and they were engaging in sexual misconduct. Um, I think a lot of it was likely rape uh, from what I've read. Mm -hmm. And a lot of abortions where there were men in leadership of the SBC um, who were raping women and then pushing them to have abortions to cover up that sin. So like it's, it's unregenerate men, but you know, abolitionists see people at the clinics who say, I'm a pastor's daughter. I'm, um, you know, dating a pastor, whatever their, their thing is. We see them and we know that they're, they're in the context of the church still choosing to have an abortion. So we shouldn't be surprised when some of those unregenerate men who love abortion are men in the church as well. Right. Men even in leadership in the church. And I don't think the SBC in any way, shape or form is, uh, an island unto itself on this. I think that, um, if we look hard enough, we will find other churches, evangelical Catholic, that are doing the same thing. They're using child sacrifice to cover up sin. And the men in power love that they have that option. Right. And I think that's partially what uh, pushes the regulation thing that we hear from the pro-life movement a, not, a lot. You know, like we should... I hear so many pro-lifers like online will say stuff like, um, I'm in uh, groups with women seeking abortions... And I've heard women in there say, oh, I'm pro-life, but, you know, then I needed an abortion. I'm right. still pro-life, but, you know, you don't really know until you need one. Right, because it plays into, um, because basically stuff like that confirms the pro-choice narrative that a lot of people who are anti-abortion actually just want to control women. Because what people mean when they say the reason they just want to regulate it is because what they want is to keep the slutty people from doing it or the trashy people from doing it. Not the people who might really, really need one. Not the people who are good but made a mistake. Not the people who, um, not the powerful people. Not it's because abortion is eugenics, and so we want to make sure that the right people are getting them. We don't want to actually like not have them at all. And that's, I mean, just the idea that it's some sort of female-specific desire, and that we invented child sacrifice. Women and men both want to avoid responsibility. Um, women and men both have reason to fear situations that they don't know how to overcome. Right. Women and men are both subject to cultural brainwashing. And there is not a, you know, there's not an unregenerate man around who is like, well, there, there are some. But uh, it's not, it's, it's very common and it's very well known that men pressure women to have abortions all the time. And even sort of the like more modern attitude of like, oh, it's your body. I'm not going to tell you what to do. That just leaves a huge gaping window for men to not take any responsibility one way or the other. They get completely out of having to parent, getting to parent. They, get, they avoid the blessing of parenting that they think is a curse. Right. And they don't even have to make the decision. 
they get to completely wash their hands of it and be like, oh, oh, it's her. And we, t we think that of that as some sort of victory of evil women over men that, that we're the ones who end up making the choice. That's just the exact same side, flip side of, of carrying the baby to term is that it's, it's always, it comes down to pregnancy as a women's responsibility. And that's another thing that both sides tend to agree on. Pregnancy is basically a woman's responsibility. Yeah, ultimately, I think there's a calculated abdication on the part of, of men when it comes to this type of thing. So it's, it's much easier to deal with abortion when you put it into the box of a woman's issue, because then a, a whole half of the population doesn't have to take responsibility for things that they should be taking responsibility for or taking joy in things that God has given them either. Right. And it just makes it really easy to categorize and, you know, people who the, the segment of the population that just hates women and don't want us to get anything we want can be like, see, they like killing babies. We hate them even more. And then the, the segment of the population that is um, preoccupied with women's rights to the exclusion of the rights of children can make a big, loud complaint about how they don't get to kill their kids. And then there can be this sort of class, this sort of tension that looks like a class, but it's actually holding up the whole system like a uh, tension rod. Right. And that, and it supports the whole thing. So um, we're never, ever going to, to abolish something if we continue to fight it on the terms of we have to keep women from getting what they want because they're the port and gateway to the devil, which is basically... Not a lot of people put it that way, although I've encountered some who do. Yeah. But it's the sort of unquestioned, unconscious assumption that underlies all of the rhetoric about it from on kind of on both sides. And it overlooks the, the fact that abortion has taken, like forced abortion is a, um, it's common in almost any kind of tyranny. Absolutely common. It has nothing to do with... Um, you know, governments, societies, anywhere that they want eugenics, want to control what kind of people are born, want to control the population, want to control the number of people, you know, whether it's China, whether it's the Church of Scientology, whether it's just the tyrannical government of a small family where the stepfather is a rapist. Um, Right. We, we it's no accident that abortion thrives in tyranny and collectivism where there's this idea of um, in order to prop up the system, we need to sacrifice some of these little people on the side like this. It's it's propped up by that because it is of that. It is it feeds on the idea that the collective will be better off if the uh, tiny little people just are, right. are gotten rid of the and, human beings as Margaret Singer like referred to them to us <laughs> but yeah when we look it's easy in our society because we've chosen to frame our abortion holocaust as a woman's choice to look at it and say well it's a thing that women get to do I saw somebody who I actually like and respect and is usually pretty right on about things say 100% of women are complicit in I'm mean, not 100% of women 100% of abortions involve a complicit woman which isn't true it's not true, but it's easy to imagine that in our culture because pro-life people and abolitionist people have actually bought into the pro-choice idol, which is that abortion is something that women, women need and want. And so 
we can look at it, but but to do that, we have to overlook thousands of years of history and re- like it may be that in the many cases in our country, a woman is more culpable because she did it without her husband's or boyfriend's or the father's knowledge or whatever. But to say that that's because of something to do with her femininity, something to do with her being female, is to overlook all of history because the impulse to child sacrifice knows no gender. And we can see that in other contexts when we're sacrificing born humans and when we're sacrificing humans, when the government is sacrificing humans and when Hitler is sacrificing humans and when, you know... Right. But we forget about that. We get very narrow and very sort of Western centric in our thinking about it. And we've, and we've all bought into the other side's logic that women need and want abortion in a way that men don't. It's not that women are innocent and don't want it. And it's a horrible thing men are doing to us. Lots of women do want it, but it's nothing to do with them being women. It's everything to do with them being selfish, lost, depraved human beings across the yeah. board, if that's making no, that makes plenty of sense. It has to do with sin nature. It has to do with people who um, love themselves more than they love their neighbor. And it doesn't matter what the sex of that person is. Ultimately, the foundation of it is the decision to love sin more than to love death or to love hate more than to love justice or mercy. Right. Well, yeah, it's a decision to fear. It's a, t- a decision to trust yourself. Um, but it's not always a decision that... A woman makes for herself it's usually a decision in our culture that that one of the parents makes or both of the parents makes but it's not always the mother who's the one parent who makes it right and I know it's not popular in some of our circles to admit that such a thing as coercion and force exists or is relatively common but um, I've personally been out of the clinic and seen someone who I knew was overage I mean underage knew was not there by choice. I've called the police. There's nothing that I could do about it. Planned Parenthood doesn't report it. The abortion clinics don't report it. And I've seen that on multiple occasions. So it's not, um, you know, when we talk about it in legislation and stuff and about penalties, we have to be really careful to talk about parents, decision-making parents or grandparents if the person's underage. Because this is a choice that both parents are responsible for. Right. Uh, And I think that your experience is not um, unique because I've seen how many abolitionists post on social media with alarming regularity. We were at the clinic. We saw a young girl come in. She obviously doesn't want to be there. She's obviously being pressed by her grandma, grandpa, boyfriend, whoever. Right. So it's it's definitely not something that is unique to your experience. Uh, anybody, anybody who goes and does clinic ministry has seen this. And that was obviously apparent to us. We don't know who is there, where they look willing, and their husband is back home with another child threatening to hurt them if they don't do it. Or um, we don't know what situations where there's coercion to the point where like we always want to make it such a hard line of culpability. Either they're 100% conscious knowing murderers or they've been forced to the point of the drawing of blood and someone's dragging them in, kicking and screaming. But you can be culpable with that and still be under coercion. Of course we are responsible for the choices we make even when we're under coercion, but that's no reason to completely 
dismiss the factor of coercion at all. Right. And the fact of the matter is that um, there's a lot of women who are afraid not to have an abortion. Um, And this is something that our society acknowledges in other contexts. How many um, TV shows have you seen where somebody's in a position where they're, I mean, you could probably write 10 scenarios off the top of your head right now. A father is being told his daughter is being held kidnapping if he doesn't go and assassinate said political figure or something like that. (laughs) That's probably not typically the reason for an abortion, but yeah. Yeah, but but I mean, like these are the types of stories that we see in our culture in different mediums. So we obviously know that these types of situations exist, and we wrestle with that the morality of that as we're watching a TV show or reading a book. But we completely ignore the reality of it when we have it before us in terms of a woman walking into an abortion clinic. Right. And I'm not saying it, it, that it justifies it if sure, there right. is any element of choice and involved for her at all. It, What I'm saying is that when we ignore that and we act like this is just this thing that women do when they're unrestrained by the oversight of men who want the best for everyone all the time, we ignore the fact that this is being done at the urging of men or with by the coercion of men. I'm not saying like men are bad and women are good. I'm saying unregenerate people hurt those who are weaker than them or more vulnerable than them whenever it benefits them to do so. Um, and so when we act like this is something that unregitimate men were just like would fight to the death to keep from happening if only the women couldn't vote or something ridiculous like that, we're ignoring the fact that um, even in things that we all agree are selfish, like doing it to keep a job or something, men don't have to worry about losing their job if they get preg- if if their girlfriend or wife gets pregnant. Um, that's a, a vulnerability and a concern unique to women. And so it doesn't make women inherently more selfish that they have the concern that other people don't have to worry about that they take into account as a factor when they are, um, when they're feeling pressure to do something. That doesn't mean it's justified to do it because of that pressure, but it means that it's not something that's, uh, it means it's not a desire unique to their special um, woman's sin or whatever whatever Knox would call it. Um, Which I think segues into, um, you were talking about how people assume that a pregnancy is a woman's problem. Right. And they put it in that box. And I know you and I have had our own experiences with that as well. Um, I don't know 100% of your story. Um, So maybe you can share first. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, Okay. I know that you have a story from a church perspective where it was looked at that you, that you are basically the responsible party for being pregnant. Um, My unwed pregnancy was in high school as a, as a high school student. And my experience was that um, if you were pregnant and you didn't have an abortion, you were a slut. And if you were pregnant and had an abortion and people knew about it, you were a slut. But sluttiness wasn't determined by how much you slept around. It had to do with whether or not you got pregnant and people knew about it. So um, I had pretty much the same boyfriend all the way through high school. Um, I didn't get around. I didn't have much of a reputation, at least not a true one. But as soon as I was pregnant, um, the rumors 
flu. Uh, I lost a ton of friends. People wouldn't speak to me. Uh, meanwhile, my boyfriend, who eventually would become my <clears throat> abusive ex-husband, he's in another school. Um, and the people who know about it, it's actually, it's like getting him new other girls who think it's like really kind of cool. And they're going baby clothes shopping with him. And he's still like a big basketball star. And um, there's nothing in, in any way about the treatment of him that's like, um, ew, pregnant. Um, whereas I basically just disappeared as far as, um, as far as my little microcosm culture of the time was concerned, except in the eyes of a few people, kind of not the ones you would expect, to be honest. But um, um, the, the real attitude is, if you're pregnant, that's icky, that's gross, that's something that you, that you shouldn't have let happen. Um, and it was a, entirely on me even though everybody knew, everybody in our entire small town knew who the father was. Um, but the responsibility rested on you. Yeah, it was, it wasn't even, it, he wasn't even really considered in the equation. It was just, she got pregnant. Yeah, that sounds really familiar. Because <laughs> even from the church perspective, um, early on, uh, when I went to a crisis pregnancy center, I was never even considering an abortion. Um, they still counted me as... Anyways, right. Um, but even then, I was. She because gave me the, the talk. <laughs> yeah, she gave me the talk, and she told me, you know, like I don't, I don't want you to, you know, be doing this, and um, like meaning uh, fornication. Mm -hmm. And then later, we were engaged to be married. Um, his grandmother actually uh, got uh, a little tipsy at a family gathering and said to him, you know. You, uh, it's not too late. You can hightail it. Um, I don't want you trapped in this. That was the response to him. Right. You can hightail it. I don't want you trapped in this. The response to me, though, was, what are you going to do about this pregnancy? What are you going to do about this baby? I had members of my family saying, are you going to put this baby up for adoption? I know abortion's out of the question. Hint, hint. Um, so, and it was, it was never, to the two of us, it was, it was ours, we shared this. Right. This baby was ours. Um, and then later, after we had gotten married and um, we wanted to be on staff for the youth group, I was asked to apologize uh, in front of the youth group for having been pregnant out of wedlock. My baby was like two years old at the time. Um, we were married. But the youth leaders felt that this should be addressed and they felt that I was the one to address it. So I had to apologize um, for being pregnant. Whereas there were other people who the leadership were aware were um, uh, living together prior to marriage, were um, unfaithful to their spouses, and then placed in leadership. All of these things were happening in the same church. None of them were asked to apologize. None of them were asked to get up before the church and repent for their sins. Just me. Right. Yeah, p pregnancy is kind of gross, it's kind of icky, and it's definitely the woman's fault. And it's definitely her responsibility. And my, my um, ex-husband's family said the same kind of things of like, um, um, how do you know it's even yours? She's just trying to trap you into marriage. I was like, no, 
not really like, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, um, uh, the assumption, like, like, I don't know, does everybody think that they're like little baby boy is like the Prince of England or something that we're all like trying to set a net, a net to trap some white trash kid from Carson city. Yeah. I was really hoping to get married. Like, but the, the assumption is that obviously the girl must be doing bad to get pregnant. Right. Right. And that's, I mean, and, and the reason that we're both staring at from both sides is because it's the assumption. It's another thing that all both sides agree on. Pregnancy is a women's issue, but pregnancy is not a women's issue because no woman has ever gotten pregnant all by herself. Not even women who have a baby by themselves by artificial insemination or IVF. They still didn't provide all the DNA all by themselves. That's not possible, at least currently. It's never happened. And also viewing it that way, viewing pregnancy as a woman's problem, is ultimately contributing to the dehumanization of the baby. Because, and so in that sense, the abolitionist and pro-life side, when they say stuff like, it's not your husband, or it's not your body, it's your husband's body. I know. (laughs) They're contributing to um, a culture of dehumanization that still is propping up abortion, even while they're fighting it. And so like they're they're shooting themselves in the foot right. when they if people have... people who use the abolition word abolitionist about themselves think that another person can own someone, then they are no kind of abolitionist. They're not, they're not working towards the abolition of anything. They're not working to preserve the image of God and human beings because whether you think that a woman can own her, her baby to the point where she's allowed to kill it or whether you think that a man owns his wife or his daughter or whether you think that a plantation owner owns a slave, you are not in favor. You don't have any respect for the regard for the image of God and in his creation. And you don't, and you cannot inconsistently fight. Even if you think abortion's bad, you're not fighting against it. You're fighting. Right. For like it. you, like you said, we're adopting the pro-choice logic. We're, we're looking at it in the same framework. We're just taking the opposite um, stance. While we're in the same box. The pro-choice attitude is you can't punish women with a baby. And the pro-life attitude or the abolitionist attitude, even when the lip service is different, is yes, you can. She deserves the punishment. Nobody's attitude is that it's not a punishment. Um, You know, nobody's attitude is even when you're saying that baby is an image bearer of God, when your attitude is and your mom deserves to be punished by you, you're not... You're not fighting for that baby as an image bearer of God. You're fighting for that Im- baby as a consequence that slutty people deserve. Yes. So talking about the woman's body, um, it's it's the this is like the contention thing. Like we said about somebody said, "No, it's your husband's body or your father's body." While well, somebody was going to the abortion clinic, so like both sides focus on that. Um, the pro-choice side says, you know, it's your body, your choice. And then the pro-life, sometimes abolitionist side will say, well, it's the location where abortions take place. But the point is her body is a, a place of greater vulnerability. Like we were talking about the coercion before. When you're pregnant, you're very, very vulnerable. 
Yeah, the fact that abortion takes place inside of a woman's body, and that unlike the child sacrifice that we've seen historically, it's something that happens to a child that cannot be seen or touched outside of his mother or her mother, makes it feel like it's a woman's issue. But to the same to the same degree that women in one way have more control over whether the child sacrifice happens, kind of, they also are in a more, they have more reason to fear. They're in a much more vulnerable condition because they're the ones that are um, having to carry the baby, getting to carry the baby, however you want to look at it. Um, I mean, children are a blessing, but pregnancy is not always... uh, It's hard sometimes. It's not always... Pregnancy is the sacrifice that you make for that blessing, unless you're one of the lucky ones. But um, we are the ones that are left with the responsibility. Child support is like nothing. It's like the tiniest possible amount. It's nothing. It's like uh, like people who think that women get pregnant to trap men into paying child support is like, what do you think economics is? It doesn't make any economical sense. It's going to cost me a lot more than I'll ever get from you. You know, assuming right, that right. I can even compel payment. Um, it's you can't. the cultural, religious, social, and just subconscious expectations are all primarily. Um, well, the next thing on the outline is we must reject the idea that the hard line on abortion as murder necessitates a rejection of compassion or acknowledgement of the for the pain and fear and coercion and brainwashing that pregnant women may experience. So I think that what we have is a problem where the pro-choice side rightly sees, hey, women are more vulnerable in this area. And the solution is the problem where they think, well, if you're more vulnerable, then the way to balance that out is to give you an extra privilege, an extra right, where you can sort of make yourself less vulnerable by making your situation the exact same as men where you will not have to be subject to the way your own body works. You won't have to be subject to anything that they're not subject to. And instead of coming back with the right answer, uh, no, no, no. Men need to make themselves more accountable, commensurate with the extra vulnerability of the people they've impregnated we say, the, or not we, but the pro-life or the abolitionist side or the anti-abortion side will say um, either, no, no, they're not m- more vulnerable and kind of act like that's not real, even though it self-evidently is, or basically act like, yeah, and they deserve it. That's why women need men to rule over them. Um, right. The, the appropriate response would be um, compassion. Instead of dehumanizing, overall dehumanizing everybody in the situation or picking which person to dehumanize, um, it would be compassion for each human being in that situation, urging um, the adults in the situation to love and care for the more vulnerable child, but then also urging the men in the situation to love and care for the more vulnerable vessel, both um, the woman and the child. And the thing is... We need to be a living rebuke to the, you don't have a uterus, you can't say anything. Not just a verbal rebuke to that. We can't just hold signs that deal with that or hand out pamphlets that deal with that. We also have to be a living rebuke to that. We have to 
be men and women stepping in to help that vulnerable person in very, very real ways. You know, right. the, the abolitionist movement has always had the two modes, agitation and assistance. And I kind of feel like assistance does not get the attention that it should on this particular point. Well, right. It used to be that there were two great objects and one of them was ending the objectification of women. That's gone out, out of the door. And, and there were two great, two modes, agitation and assistance. Assistance has gone out the door. But aside from like even what we do, we need to be seeking to create a society that holds men accountable, holds fathers accountable, holds adult parents of minor children, minor uh, pregnant children accountable to, where they don't get that free pass. Instead of saying we need to extend the free pass to the woman too, we need to say no, nobody gets the free pass. Especially... If you, um, if you, if you cause that pregnancy without the consent of the other person. So instead of saying women need this because they might get raped, if you not only can't hide your rape by, with, with, by forcing an abortion on your victim, but you also are financially responsible for somebody that you're never going to be allowed to have any contact with ever, uh, which would be the just way to handle that. Right. Um, forever, and not just to the extent that a normal father would be, but in terms of restitution above and beyond what you would have to do to for a, for um, a, ch a child that was fathered uh, in love <laughs> instead of forcibly, but actually uh, actually having to make restitution for your crime, not just take responsibility for it, that would be a deterrent to. Um, to rape and that would be holding people accountable other than the innocent child. That's the rape exception that we need. <laughs> uh, but there's a kind of an attitude, particularly in the circles you and I have run in that if we take a hard line and say that abortion is murder, we cannot in any way acknowledge the legitimate fear that a pregnant woman with an unplanned pregnancy is going to be experiencing. We can't have any compassion for that. We can't show any grace for that because if we do that, then we're saying that it's okay, that she's a victim. Like, or if we acknowledge that she is in some ways a victim, then we're saying that she's the victim of abortion. And you can take a harsh line on whether or not an action is justified and at the same time show compassion for the people in the situation that might make them feel scared not to do it. And in fact, in order to, with unweighted equal measures without partiality, take that hard line, you have to be able to also show the compassion. Otherwise, your hard line looks like and kind of is um, just an effort to control women. Okay. So, um, I think for us to, talking about the two modes, agitation and assistance, um, if we can't acknowledge the reality of um, the, the issues that we face, if we can't acknowledge the reality of a woman's body being more vulnerable when she's pregnant, the reality of her baby being vulnerable, and how that changes how we approach both prosecution of abortion, 
um, as murder and how we approach assistance to mothers, then I think that that's going to severely hamper our ability to abolish abortion. And even more so, if we despise women, we're not going to view that rightly. We're not going to view prosecution rightly. We're not going to view um, compassion rightly when they find themselves in a, a situation where we need to be compassionate. Maybe there is rape or incest, or maybe it's just a, a situation where she has made sinful decisions, or maybe she's been abandoned by her husband, or if that makes sense. Well, yeah, the, um, you, you just cannot fight a, um, you can't fight a battle using this, using the same weapon that you're fighting against. You cannot fight dehumanization with more dehumanization. You can't fight um, the dehumanization of children with the dehumanization of men. And if what you're trying to combat is the, is this evil thing that evil women want to do because women are the port and gateway to the devil, then you're not going to, you're not fighting abortion. You're fighting women. Uh, and you're fighting to control them instead of fighting to um, abolish the universally by men, women, and government embraced behavior of child sacrifice. If you're really, if your real enemy is women, you will never win this war. You're not even fighting the same war. Um, you're fighting on the side that you think you're fighting against. Um, so anyways, as I was saying, people helped me through being a single mother, but they didn't apply the gospel. They helped me materially. They helped me compassionately. It, in no way were they um, opposing abortion as a whole in the culture. So, like, there's a whole lot of threads that need to be pulled in together so that we can um, oppose abortion. And it is with the understanding that we are dealing with real people in real situations Um so it's not a black and white, two-dimensional, that person murdered, we prosecute them, yay, we have a right law, it's done. Um, well, there's an understanding that person that means only the mother, and not every decision-making yeah, parent involved in deciding to sacrifice their child. Right, right. right. Whereas we have nuance when we prosecute people who hire hitmen's, hitmen to kill someone. Um, and we, we don't have that same nuance because... We're fighting abortion with a, a woman despising attitude and with a, a truncated worldview that, that sees it. It's almost like we're dualistic. We either see it as a, a legislative thing or we see it as a let's be nice to people thing. Um, and the problem is the abolitionist movement is tending towards the legislative only and the pro-life movement is tending towards the be nice to people. And so, like, it's not a full-orbed view of the gospel. It's not a full-orbed response to an evil in our society well, and it's an evil in our society, not an evil in women. Right. And I think even when you make the right moves, if you're doing it with the wrong motives and in the wrong spirit, God isn't going to honor that. Like SB 13, the bill that's being put up in Oklahoma right now to abolish abortion. I think the language of it from what I've read currently, I hear that they're making some changes and they don't know what those are, but from what I've read currently is completely fine. Um, and, and focuses, uh, on murder the way that it should and should be supported, but if the people, uh, if the if the general attitude 
of those who are not in favor of abortion, of anti-abortion groups, is that women are bad and abortion is a thing women do. We're not going to win. On a spiritual level, we just can't win. Even if we pass some legislation that's good, we are not saying to the people around us, um, oh, what a wise and understanding people. I want to serve the God they serve. And people are not, the culture is not going to change. They're not going to um, actually think of abortion as unthinkable the way that we nowadays think of putting a born child in the fire. Um, and they're going to continue to practice it, whether they practice it underground or whether it comes out in some other way, um, that some other kind of brutality toward children where they're um, aborted through the foster system or aborted through abuse or neglect or trafficked. It, it's like, I think I made, I told somebody at some point, if you don't do things with the right motivation and in a righteous way, it's like shapewear. It's like me trying to wear shapewear. That fat goes somewhere. My stomach might be right. flat, but um, there's like back fat or something like that. Is Even if you somehow made it so that nobody was getting a surgical abortion, even illegally, if we don't stop hating women and children, and people on both sides hate women and children, and even if when our concern and compassion for one or the other is like benevolent condescension that like a like a um, benevolent southern slaveholder to their favorite slave or something and and it's kind but it's not the kind of compassion that sees you as an equal image bearer we are not abolishing anything even if we abolish surgical abortions we're not abolishing abortion people will still torture children in some other legal way it'll just like slavery has moved to the prison system abortion will move right. um like you know it, it'll it's already moved to the ivf clinic and to the um abortifacient abortifacient drugs and you know we can we can just pop a pill in our bedroom now um and it's going to continue to to evidence itself in all kinds of manner of of cruelty because we're not changing the heart of the culture at in any way shape or form we're trying to there was an abolitionist rally last night where the people are screaming we want trump we want trump if you're trying to link arms with a known pornographer and pimp to abolish abortion how are you saying to the people in this country what a wise and understanding people? How are they going to adopt our worldview? And the only way that the cruelty to children stops is if the culture actually adopts a worldview that hates cruelty to children in all of its forms. And otherwise, right. we've abolished nothing. I think it goes down to a right understanding. Uh, like I said earlier, we have these collective ideas where we're like funneling everything down into collectives like those bad women and those good people who are trying to stop this. And like, we kind of have these self-righteous collectives, right? Uh, if, those we, bad if we bring it down to self-government, right? right. <laughs> yes. So like, if we, if we take it down to self-government where we're appealing to people that specifically, I mean, this is all throughout scripture where scripture deals with, um, a, a, an understanding on an individual level, um, our consciences, our responses to God, our repentance. There's collective repentance, but there's also individual repentance. And right. we need to start at that individual level, that self-government level, where people recognize in their own hearts because of their own consciences, yes, this is wicked, this is wrong. And then it goes moves from the bottom up. And the problem is the moment, the moment that we turn to a top-down um, way of changing evils in the culture 
we're just, like you said, it's like the shapewear. We're just kind of pushing it somewhere else. Right. Instead of actually well, corporate repentance the that says, oh, we're sorry that we didn't fight abortion hard enough, but isn't an actual adoption of honoring the image of God in all of his image bearers is not corporate repentance. They're not like, you know, everybody standing together and demanding some kind of immediate this legislation. That's great, but that's not corporate repentance if what you're demanding is immediate this legislation so that women will stop acting like those bad women want to act. Like it's just not um that's not that's not repentance at all. That's just like you said, it's channeling the same lack of repentance into some new um some new anti-feminist agenda instead of into a pro-image of God agenda. Right. And then we're just continuing some kind of collective civil war rather than actually dealing with hearts and minds. Right. And just like with the civil war, if we, if we continue to, to abandon God in the way that we fight injustice, if we continue to sort of like want this cruelty to stop in a way, in a, in a way that's sort of analogous to wanting to send everybody to, sending the slaves back to you know to africa like we want them to stop being abused but we don't want them to be like full citizens of our country we want to ship them somewhere else where we don't have to look at them or touch them if we have that same kind of attitude towards abolishing abortion we're going to have the same results which is going to be a truncated abolition um it's going to be one that that um results in like what we're seeing with the original abolition um um, decades and decades and decades of racial oppression still to this day and the slavery of the plantation moved to the slavery of the prison we're going to see the same kind of thing and it's not going to be us who even gets to do that it's going to be i predict the um leftist feminists who are going to start realizing how anti-woman the idea of abortion is and how demeaning to women it is and they're going to abolish it and it's going to be a truncated abolition and isn't that always a rebuke to the church, though, when it when it's when it's the pagans who are picking up those crumbs of common grace and sharing them around between each other while we're all sitting squabbling over the feast of special grace that we have? Right, that we're not even eating. We're just sitting there, letting it fall onto the ground, our special grace, and arguing with each other about it, and um, saying some of us don't even have as much of the image of God in us as others. Well, they're like, well, I'll scrounge at this little crumb and they'll do something that we're refusing to do because we, we want to make it about things that it's not about. I, I think that, that brings us to like, so we know that abortion is a, a societal sin and an individual sin, and it's not at all linked to someone's sex so much as it's linked to the intentions of their heart. Um, so then what is our call to action? How do we, as Christians, fight this? How do we as Christians look at the compromised um, attempts around us to fight this and do the right thing about it? Yeah, um, I, but I think it's a lot of what um, the proponents of certain groups of abolition used to say, which is that, and, and kind of stopped saying along the way, which is that you look and you say, what does it look like to be in a Christian in a culture that kills its children, in a culture that traffics its children, in a culture that deports its children, in a poor culture that rapes its children? Uh, we have to look at all of those things, not because killing their children, which is another thing that they used to say, 
is the primary, like the, the primary symptom, or not even like the culminating symptom of a fundamentally sick society. If you took all of your effort and focus and you say, I want to eliminate this system, it's like giving somebody um, whose entire body is shutting down an Advil for their fever. You have to get at the disease. And um, like you were saying, I think self-government, um, you know, it's the individual, the family, your circle of influence. We have to change the culture. We have to be a witness to the culture. We have to create we have to create arenas where people can look and say what are wise and understanding people and actually want to emulate what we're trying to do. Right. And I think there's also a certain amount of understanding that we have to be consistent and that we can look in the past, we can look in history and we can see the human rights movements in the past, the abolitionist movement of antebellum America, the women's rights movement, uh, the, the first wave feminists. And we can see how those movements like veered because of inconsistency in loving other image bearers and in seeing what is it like to be a Christian in a culture that is abandoning God's truth. So I think ultimately, yes, it begins with our own self-government, but then it also moves on to an organic response to the evils around us. And I, I think that we need to be very careful as Christians to, to encourage people to search the Word of God and to find the means in their own lives with their own talents and their own, own abilities to oppose these things. I think it's entirely feasible for the stay-at-home mom to use uh, Facebook uh, like a street preacher uses the street. Absolutely. I think it's entirely feasible for um, uh, somebody who's in the, the medical field to find a way to help people who are in need. I think it's entirely feasible for someone who's in government to to push back against injustice there. I think there's multiple ways. Paul specifically states that the, you know the body has, has different parts. So I think we need to be very careful to stay away from saying it always looks like holding a sign or it always looks like posting on Facebook or it always looks like this particular expression of justice and mercy. And I think we need to very much be looking in our own lives. How can God use what he's given me? How can I give back to him what he's equipped me with? Right. And encouraging one another along the way. So I think it's really just an organic response to this is wicked. This is evil. I'm going to push back anywhere that I see that I can. And that's that consistency that's absolutely key. Like you said, every, every human rights move in history eventually goes off course because there's an area where we're not willing to be consistent. And, it's the tr and, and particularly at our time, there's a tribalism that makes it so that... Um, we don't want to be seen agreeing with anything that the evil other side would ever agree with. And so we have to risk being called an SJW, that horrible insult, by actually consistently caring about all of injustice because we lose credibility. You know, there's people who will say like, yeah, yeah, but everybody agrees sex trafficking is wrong. And so you're not being brave by fighting that. But for one thing, it's pretty... It's pretty rampant for a culture where everybody believes it's wrong. But second of all, if I don't care as much about that born child that's being trafficked as I do about that unborn child that might be aborted, then I lose all credibility with anybody that I'm trying to speak to who does care about that. Not only that, but one evil pours into the other. And you'll find that all throughout 
our society, you'll find different things, things like um, the public school system, you'll find pours into um, people seeking abortions because they encourage the kind of attitude towards um, children and pregnancy that, you know, leads someone to go, oh, I should go and get an abortion. Do you know what I'm saying? So like, well, you can pick I mean, out 70% any spot. Of, of Christian men watch pornography or view pornography of some kind that that directly relates to abortion and to trafficking and um, to the despising of women. We cannot, we cannot abolish abortion if 70% of the people that represent the kingdom of God are participating in the trafficking, the abuse, and the forced abortions of women. And then saying, yeah, but only an SJW cares about that. I mean, one could say the same thing about things like domestic violence, which could also lead to um, sexual abuse abortion, all, all sorts of things. And then even more tangentially, we can look at things like a, a wrong view of image bearers who are trying to immigrate to the United States of America, showing that we have a wrong view of image bearers whom we dislike and that we're all too ready to dehumanize people. Now, that's not a direct um, thing, but that's the thing where if we're inconsistent at one point, we, we really harm ourselves. And I have seen, I have seen people who are very upset about my abolitionist rhetoric and, and um, I've seen their ears perk up when they see there's consistency and they'll say, you know, I really hate a lot of what you stand for, but I respect you because I see that you're consistent. And there's a way to reach people with the gospel and to do that changing of hearts and minds when they see that consistency and it's almost like a sideways discipleship where they're watching it and, and gospel proclamation, they're watching it and they're going, wow, these people really believe what they say they believe. Right. And then they start to question their own inconsistency. Absolutely. And I, I literally have known people who have said, Oh, that's just being friends with that's for, you know, they're talking about the verse in the Bible that talks about friendship with the world. You're just caring about the things that those worldly people care about. And then you're selling out to care about the things that's popular to care about as though it was some sort of separate thing. And that the people of God were only care, called to care about injustice that nobody else cared about. What kind of, what does it make of the meaning of the word witness? What is it, What kind of testimony is that? I only care about things if you don't care about them because I think you're bad. Or like, I don't even understand that way of thinking at all. Well, and God's idea of justice is, is comprehensive. When he says let justice fall down like, like an ever-flowing stream, he doesn't say, and let it trickle over there at the faucet I like. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's just, it's it's almost bizarre to me that we're even having to say this because we've been, in, in one way or another, involved in a movement for so long that's all about going to the root and getting at this fundamental sickness of which abortion is just sort of the lowest hanging fruit, the most, um, the most extreme symptom. And then suddenly we're having to explain all of a sudden, all fresh, that you can't just make an idol out of fighting the symptom because somebody whose organs are shutting down isn't going to be helped by bringing their fever down. Uh, and they're still going to die. <laughs> right. And I don't even, yeah, I mean, we're basically just talking in circles at this point, not in circles, but just uh, reiterating, reiterating same the same point. truths. But 
I guess a, a call to action would be to love your neighbor as yourself, your um, female neighbor, <laughs> your, uh, your your brown neighbor, pregnant your neighbor, neighbor. <laughs> <Yeah>. your unborn uh, neighbor. When we make, when we talk about loving our neighbor as ourselves, and we apply it only to unborn to the unborn, we're being as bad or bad in a different way from the people who say it and mean everybody but their unborn neighbor. I think when we apply love your neighbor to your, as yourself to neighbors who are in our image, basically what we're saying is that we are, um, that we're we are engaging God. in idolatry. Yeah. We're saying I only care about the neighbor that I care about, not I care about the image bearers God's created. Right. And so we have to, we, had, we just have to absolutely abandon, if we ever want to abolish abortion, which I still do very much, we have Same. to abandon this idea that it's women or children. <laughs> Amen. Thank you for listening to The Monstrous Regiment. We hope this podcast inspires and equips you to go and exercise dominion for Christ's kingdom. Terrible as an army with banners. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.